1: their essential love of justice.
0: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu
1: Vine for September 2nd, 2018 Labor Day weekend. Welcome to the show, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Jim Shiflett.
2: Good evening, sir.
1: Yes, um, some news around the country and uh, just about... Um, 20 minutes we're going to go across the country A person we've had on A time or two before Scott Elliott Of Election Projection um, Is going to come on the show So if you're listening to this you might want to pull up Electionprojection.com Because we're going to focus a lot on what he's um, Predicted And uh, he's calling in from across the country in Oregon Probably our first guest From the state of Oregon Um, But that will be in a little bit but we're going to stay um, Well We're going to go kind of national, international, first topic, over the border. And this past week, we know that um, Donald Trump is just not a huge fan of Justin Trudeau. Well, they've talked more and more (laughs) about NAFTA negotiations. And Donald Trump, he really doesn't want to seem to be as hard on Mexico, even though they're who he needs to build a wall between our country and their country. But he really wants to stick it to Justin Trudeau and Canadians on um, tariff policy and uh, trade agreements. And there's been a lot of theories as to why. Uh, Tim, why has this brought back up the neighbor to our north, in many ways the country that's most like us, and yet Donald Trump wants to um, be so anemoneous to him? I think I
2: think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, that uh his personal. He just simply does not like Justin Trudeau. I don't think he ever has. And uh, you know, Trump's the kind of guy that uh uh would do things like that, but picking on our chief trading partner uh, we, we've talked about this before. Uh, uh, a nation that we are closer to than than any other on this planet, surely. A nation whose soldiers have fought and bled beside our soldiers in wars overseas. Uh, I, I, you, you, you know, he he threatens to do away with NAFTA. He threatens to make a deal only with Mexico. And, of course, all this may not even be legal. Um, it, did you hear about the off-record uh, comments to Bloomberg that leaked out where Trump said he he would not grant Canada any concessions? Now, this is right as we are having trade negotiations with them. Uh, it, it's This guy needs an enemy, and Canada's the latest one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's just that pro-wrestling mentality needs an enemy. But this is definitely a strange one. Um, I I don't know that since the War of 1812 that anybody's tried to much make an enemy out of Canada until Donald Trump. (laughs) Um, Catherine, I find there's a little bit of irony here. Well, of course, some people might say, you know— um, Canada really doesn't have as many people as America, therefore it's not as important. But if we look at our own electoral politics, um, a lot of times Republicans don't have as many voters, but they've got a ton of land area. They love to show that map where all those sparsely populated counties and states are all red, and it just looks like there's a whole bunch of Republican area. Well, Canada's that same way. There's really not that much population, but they have a ton of real estate up north. And um, they're a much bigger country than America land area-wise, so I, I just see some irony there if somebody wanted to dismiss the importance of Canada um, looking at the Republican Party. Um, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I think that Tim's right. I think a lot of it has to do with he just doesn't like them, and it uh, doesn't like Justin Trudeau, so this is his way of getting back at him. I also think he probably doesn't like Canada because, you know, i I actually just had a long conversation with a friend of mine who lives in Toronto this morning, and he was just he's originally from the u s and lived here until he was about forty and then he moved to Canada and became a canadian citizen and uh He just said that you know every you know it's not a perfect country but um they have they have very good health care he's been through a couple of health crises and he's very happy with the Services that were provided, you know, no, none of these long waits or anything like that. But also, you know, they're a relatively happy com- country. Um, they uh, take care of each other. They're uh, well respected in the international um, scene. Uh, of course, they're they're a British, um, whatever they are. I don't know what it's called. But but um, I think he's envious of their sort of. Um, the satisfaction of their citizenry. I mean, obviously, they don't have the same kind of, they don't have the same kind of uh, level of population and the same diversity that we have in our country, but um, I, I just, I think there's a lot of envy involved. I think, you know, he just, Donald Trump just cannot stand for anyone to be happier than he is or than his country is.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're he's right, always Catherine. Got, he's always got to be the best. Yeah. I, I think you're right. There's a lot of envy on Donald Trump's part, but I don't know that he's actually looked at it complexly and talked about, you know, broken it down by what America has and what Canada does. I mean, obviously, the <laughs> other part of the country has yeah. much better weather. Oh, right. But I think the envy comes from... That. He's, <laughs> a, a, that He looks at Justin Trudeau, who is young, and by many ladies' description, handsome and good shape, Got you know, got a nice young family. Um, I think Donald Trump always gets envious of those kind of things, very superficial things. We know we've heard about Donald Trump and people that are taller than him. I, I think
0: that <laughs> Donald Trump
1: looks at him and gets envious of that, which is so silly because we may have said this before. A 70-something-year-old person is not supposed to be as good-looking as the average 40-something-year-old person. It's just time and nature, and it's okay. <laughs> but I really think that's a lot of Donald Trump's world is
0: very superficial.
1: Um, Tim, I hear you laughing. What do you think?
2: Yeah, but he, you you mentioned he's not looking at the complexities of the city. When does he look at the complexities of anything? He just He's just like a little kid Says give me what I want And I want it now Now I'm the president And I can have it And don't bother me with the details And la-di-da-di-da-di-da And we'll do it this way from now on Because it's a new day And blah, 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 blah The president of the AFL-CIO Richard Trumka Said Look, any deal made Must include Canada Because You know, our economies are so intertwined. Yeah, it's Uh, it's ridiculous. Right. I mean, Trump warned Congress. You stay out of it. But Congress is the one that has to approve any rewrite of NAFTA. I'm sorry, but that's
1: the law.
2: You know, (laughs) i' it, it, it's it's unreal. we get most of our steel yeah, they he was screaming, Trump was let's you know throw all these tariffs on Chinese steel, we get most of our steel from Canada, not not from China, uh look at all the American cars that are built in Canada uh look at all the the all the pipelines the just just everything you can think of. Uh and of course when you mention complexities, Trump doesn't never talk about history. Uh go back and look at Smoot Hawley, what it did, the the tariff act, and one of the countries it hit was Canada and and it was just disastrous. And and here he goes again with crazy stuff like this. Uh You know, a year ago, guys, he was screaming at Mexico. Now, all of a sudden, he's buddy-buddy with them, and our mortal enemy is Canada. Can can you believe we're sitting here talking about uh, we have a president that thinks Canada is an enemy of America? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm in a paradox.
1: Yeah, I Catherine, with the theory of Donald Trump, you know, looking at appearances more importantly than anything else, which is just mind-boggling for world leaders to do. Um, do you think there's anything to that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think.
1: Think of an analogy.
3: I thought I had one, but I don't. Uh, he's just. He's so. He lacks depth in every way, and um, and, and has to and and, and this. You know, need to, um, you know, don't don't mess with, you know, tell Congress not to mess with it. I'm going to handle it. All this, like, um, bravado that is completely unfounded. Like, he can't do it. But he's going to say he's going to do it. And his supporters love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Catherine, there's probably a reason you couldn't come up with an analogy. There's no adult correlation that's probably ever existed to analogize. Maybe if you wanted to pick some kind of high school-based movie where the high school bully treats the smart kid bad, uh, maybe you would get something close, uh, but definitely (laughs) not um, something in in human history. Probably fortunate.
3: What I was thinking was that it's like um, your oldest family friends, the uh, the um, your your oldest friend marries a younger, more attractive woman, and so you don't like them anymore.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> that's pretty well-reasoned in real life, so that sounds pretty uh, uh, about accurate for Donald Trump. Well, I'm going to leave anyway. this with one Canadian import, since this is uh, beginning to be the kickoff of football season, um anytime oh. anybody wants to hate Canada, a lot of the people that um you know, maybe you know, America first and America only and America always, um, uh, back right after the Civil War, ha- Harvard University had a rugby team and they went up to McGill University in Canada, up in Montreal, and McGill said, Why don't we play our version where we have downs? And um from that game, uh what Canadians and Americans uh, called football, um, tr- you know, traditional down football, uh, came from that game. So Canada actually has uh, started football with downs before America. So there's an import, and I don't want Donald Trump to put a tariff on that, so we can do great, a- great ideas like that one. Um, well, let's move <laughs> back to the south and move back to uh, Florida. Florida was one of the most intriguing states um, Tuesday in the primary. It already had a U.S. Senate race that was going to be so watched. But then the governor's race, which was going to be competitive, just came out of nowhere and became a a far more fascinating race. When um, we had looked at the polls, other than an internal poll, which I will admit I think at least two of us um, kind of panned, on our text. Andrew Gillum was uh, third, Gilliam was third, and he ended up winning the nomination and they don't have a runoff in Florida, so that gets it done. Um uh Tim, how surprised were you by that result?
2: I was very surprised by because uh, no no one no one expected that to happen. Uh but he did have a surge of progressive voters, and that's one place where where it happened. Uh, he also had a, a heavy African American turnout that helped him. Uh, also, uh, he was able to uh, break through in South Florida, even though his power base was considered to be in North Central Florida. Really, uh, you know, and well, I mean, it's Mayor of Tallahassee. And uh, he he's winning districts down in the Miami area and stuff like that. And he just won the thing. It it, it was that's one of the biggest surprises, I guess, of the uh, of the primary season nationwide. Wouldn't you think? Mm.
1: Yes. It's surprising, but well, that one was with a runoff, so you kind of had the first. Election day to kind well, of precursor yeah. to the second one. I um, mean, this one was kind of boom, it just happened. Um, whereas, you know, there would, there would have been the runoff, yeah. and then he would have I guess, Glenn, yeah, Gray, right. uh, Glenn Graham. Glenn no Graham was second. Word. Yeah, you would have, you would go, oh, well, he has the momentum, you're seeing it coming. Um, so that kind of changed things. Now, um, of course, it was very surprising. Well, one quick thing before we leave the candidates that lost in that Democratic primary, Gwen Graham's been around a long time. She actually got redistricted into a really bad Democratic district, decided not to run for re-election where she thought she would take a loss, and then put all her energy and focus into this governor's race, a daughter of Bob Graham, longtime uh, politician in Florida. Um, Catherine, do you have any ideas? And then, Tim, you can answer too. Why does Gwen Graham, uh, why did she never really catch fire in this race?
3: I don't know. I don't know much. About, I mean, I've I've never really seen her. Uh, and did she not catch fire, or did Gillum just catch fire? I don't know. I think it's well. I mean, she didn't even get thirty percent really, of the vote. front
1: runner.
0: What
3: it?
1: Yeah. What
3: was the um, breakdown of the of the vote?
0: What percentage did Gillum get? Third,
1: third, third. But I mean, he oh, didn't. Okay. He didn't even break. I think thirty five percent. Um, it definitely didn't break forty, so it was very like it, it's the kind of race that probably should have used a runoff. Even you know he wins in the end, great, but I mean it probably needed a runoff just because no one got close to fifty. Tim, do you have the accurate numbers?
2: Uh, I do not at the moment. No, okay. I'm trying yeah. to look but it up as
1: it we're. Wasn't, yeah, it was close um, between him and Graham. Close, close. But Graham I mean, was the front runner. It, right, Graham was
3: the front runner. I mean, if it was close, it just means that. Um, Gillum got his people out better than she did. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily um, mean anything uh, negative against her. It's just it. It could just be that he got his people out better. I, I mean, it's when mm. it's that close, it's hard to say what. It's hard to really call her a loser because it was so tight. I mean, obviously she lost, but but I, I think when you don't have a runoff and you're looking at third, third, third. Um, well, yeah. It's all about get out. Yeah. It's
1: all about getting the vote out. One, one yeah. thing
2: that happened is is, is that uh, Philip Levine, uh, who was running neck and neck with Graham in a lot of these polls, finished a distant third at like twenty percent. And uh, okay. uh, Gillum Gillum actually won this thing with thirty four percent of the vote. Um, Graham got thirty one percent. And then there were some minor candidates uh, uh, on, on down, um, but I, I think Gillum caught fire because he like he he got excitement from people on the left. Uh, he supports Medicare for all, for instance. Bernie Sanders endorsed him, came came down there and campaigned, and he kind of surged late as a result, uh, but. Like I mentioned earlier, Gillum was winning districts in Miami. Well, uh, uh, Philip Levine was the former uh, mayor of Miami Beach down there, and and he actually lost his home district to Gillum. So uh, a surge <coughs> of progressive and African American votes, Graham got tagged with the quote establishment figure. David mentioned her you know, her family tree and her credentials and all. And and it's just one of those things just suddenly came from out of
1: nowhere. And
2: uh, it's very surprising.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and then, um, of course, Gillum wins this race, and it's a lot of energy and a lot of interest in somebody coming from first, third to first. But then Ron DeSantis uh, really makes national news in a horrible way. And says, Florida, don't monkey this up and of course Andrew Gillum is an African American and there's a long horrible history with that that, you know, touches on, you know, Hitler and the Nazis uh, using those kind of things. Now of course he was probably would say I was he was taking a you know turn of phrase not meaning that directly oh, but right. then compounding that, was that a <laughs> with the um group out of Idaho that directly um, has been campaigning against Andrew Gillum, and they are incredibly overt in how they're functioning. And, of course, Ron DeSantis is a very, very conservative candidate, and a very, very conservative candidate probably has to be even more careful uh, in how they function when they want to hug up that closely to Trump like he did in his campaign ad. Catherine, your thoughts on... The post-Gillum win part of the campaign with the Republicans. Horrifying.
3: I just can't believe it's 2018 and we're still talking like that. People are still talking like that. I mean, it's just – and he can say it was a turn of a phrase. He can say that. But anybody who has that in their phrases that they turn is – it's a dog – it was a dog whistle. It was just a – I mean – There's no – there's just no way you can use that kind of language and then try to claim you're not – you're not – I don't like to call people racist, but, I mean, use that kind of language and then back out of it and try to say that, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Well, yeah, you did. Just
0: Mm – it's it's just Mm –
1: yeah. Yes, well well. now to kind of broaden this thing out from just Florida We're going to look at all across the country It's 720 and we want to bring in our guest um, from Election Projection Welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, uh, Scott Elliott Welcome Scott
4: Well thank you, glad to be back David, it's been a while
1: Yes, uh, uh, sorry for having you on the line a little bit. I saw that North Carolina number, not to give out any more of your number than that. Uh, and then I know you're now in Oregon, so I was like, uh-oh, I don't know what's going on here. Um, but let me um, ask you first, uh, so you're up in Oregon. Uh, has that been a good move for you?
0: Well,
4: this, Oregon is a beautiful country, that's for sure. We we love it. We're in central Oregon, and, and it's just it's just beautiful here. So, yeah, it's been a good, good move.
1: Excellent. Well, let's kind of get right into this. Um, Election projection You have projected not only um, You used to uh, focus a lot on Electoral map but now you've got Senate races, house races Governorships, just all kind of things I'm going to open it up with some senate talk And then um, Catherine and Tim May want to talk about governor's races And and house seats And everything else And then I may come back with something else But uh, you have right now The map Holding as far as Democrat to Republican split, 51-49, but you do have some states flipping, Florida, which we were talking about on the governor's side, um, Missouri and North Dakota, and then you have Tennessee, Nevada, and Arizona flip into the Democratic side. So you have six seats in play. Um, just kind of an overall question – which one of those do you think is going to be the tightest of the six races?
4: Well, I, I think the one in Florida, you, you guys were discussing the governor's race. I, I think the, the Senate race there is going to be just a monumental race. And you've got a very heavily populated state. Uh, you've got two you know, heavyweights of, of the political scene there in Florida going back and forth. And that, to me, is the most intriguing and exciting race um, that I would point to.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, let me just kind of follow up then on Florida, and and this is something I find pretty vexing. Uh, Bill Nelson, to me, he might not get a ton of people excited about him, but he seems to have almost no controversy. Uh, I mean, he doesn't seem very hateable by the other side. Um, It seems like he's the kind of guy that what remaining swing voters we have left would do pretty well with. Um, Why do you think Bill Nelson's struggling in this reelection campaign?
4: Well, I think you know there's some there's some longevity there. He's been there for a long time, and, and you're absolutely right. He has a way of pulling out you know victories when he's very very vulnerable, and that's just sort of been his his mo for the last I don't know a couple of decades I guess. And um, you know he's he's he is up against probably the the strongest Republican in the state as far as you know who could go against him for that seat. Um, and you know the polls right now show Scott ahead by a couple of points. I I I just can't. Uh, I can't foresee Scott pulling away there. I mean, he might, but I just feel like it's going to be a very, very close race all the way to the end. And I think that Gillum's presence on the on the governor's on the governor line is really going to help, of course, the African American turnout there in Florida, and that's going to squeeze it even closer. So that one's just you know a true toss-up in my view, and, and very interesting as well.
1: Yes, I think it'd be one of the. Uh, best ones to follow or, or go down and see on the ground Of course you get the weather in November as well um, Well, kind of moving up north uh, to Missouri It's kind of like a little diagonal line as I look at your map on your site uh, In Missouri, uh, Claire McCaskill She may be one of the luckiest politicians Every time she's up for reelection, She hits a Democratic year and gets a bad opponent um, she's indefinitely a Democratic year. I'm not so sure if her opponent is um, going to say anything like Todd Aiken did last time. Um, why do you predict that this is the year the Republicans finally defeat Claire McCaskill?
0: Well, if you look
4: at if you look at Missouri, it it has been trending Republicans now for for well over a decade, and, and you know the presidential election in 2016 sort of brought that to to a head. It basically um, Trump won that by 18.7 points. So Missouri is definitely a red state these days. And, and like you said, you're absolutely right that, that McCaskill has just sort of lucked her way into into a couple of terms here. Uh, I don't think that her, you know, I don't think that Hawley or, let's see, is that his name? Uh, yeah, Hawley is going to be the type of candidate like, like Aiken was. That was that was truly a disaster for Republicans. Uh, so I, I do think that this is the year that she, that she will be defeated. Uh, and I really think that it probably won't be as close as even as the polls say now. That That is one where I would see the possibility of Holly pulling away a little bit.
1: Yes, and when I say luck, I don't mean that as a pejorative. Uh, there was a, a sign in the wrestling room at my high school that said, luck is when preparation <laughs> meets opportunity. So I think she is well prepared. She takes advantage of her opportunities. Uh, and that's actually a good thing, not not a bad thing. Um, and then the final one I wanted to ask you about, and then I'm going to pass it around to Catherine and Tim and maybe it'll get back to me, was North Dakota. Um, Heidi hide, Camp may be as good a um, Democrat as you can run in a red state, but I, I would say that you know North Dakota is a not super friendly Democratic territory, and it's had a lot of move-ins, and it's one of those states where the move-ins probably are more Republican than Democratic, unlike – a lot of your sunbelt states, where you get more Democrats moving in, um, is Heidi Kemp Do you think she is going to be a strong enough Democrat to um, withstand the just natural lean of
4: North Dakota? Well, if it weren't for a Republican, Republican Flor- yeah, if it weren't for the for the Florida race, I think that and and the size of North Dakota, obviously being being a very small state, um, you know, that would be uh, at least. One of the most intriguing, intriguing races If not the most intriguing race Because like you said Heitkamp is such a, a perfectly uh, Perfect Democrat for, for a deep red state um, you know, Basically right now I have Kramer up by just a half a point And that's, that's based on the polls Nothing more um, But that's one that, that is also going to go down To the wide and could go either way um, You know Kramer has won um, Statewide election there before So he does present a, a pretty formidable opponent for, for Heitkamp, but that's going to be a close one, too. And listen, before we move on, yeah. I, I'd like to touch oh, on Tennessee, if we could, just a minute. Uh, I think that uh, the Democrats really got uh, their best best guy when, when Breedson jumped in. Um, and so that, that race is, is one that's uh, sort of and without his candidacy, would not be would not be in the discussion of, of battleground races. I don't believe so. Um, that's one to, to look at too. I, I do think that's another one where where Blackburn will probably probably win that, but it's going to be a lot closer than you would think in a you know in a state that's as red as Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this stat, but we have a fellow John Rowley who comes on. He's one of the leading um, Democratic ad makers, uh, really around the country, but he's based out of Nashville. And Phil Bredesen, the last time he ran for governor, won every single county in Tennessee. And I just cannot begin to imagine a candidate in a state where there's city and there's rural areas and there's suburban areas and everything in between winning every single county on either side. I mean, so that really made me kind of understand that, you know, Phil Bredesen's just a different kind of candidate um, you know, that's than a, most that's folks would be on either side of the aisle.
4: That really, you know, that just under, underscores just how what a strong, formidable um, candidate he is. The thing that I would say there is that was a governor's race, and as you know, governor's races can can be a lot less uh, partisan, so to speak, than than the Senate races. So that, you know, if he were if he were running for governor again, he probably did the same thing. Uh, with the Senate races, a little bit different. I mean, you, you have you have De- Democrats winning the gubernatorial races in Ca- in Kansas, and you have Republicans winning in Massachusetts. So. That's a little bit of a different equation than than a Senate race. That said, I still think it's going to be a, it's going to be a toss up. Yes.
1: Well, I'm going to go ahead and pass this thing to Catherine uh, with plenty of stuff wanted to. Discuss. Kim, Catherine.
3: Thanks for being on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. And well, I'm a welcome. big fan of Oregon, so I hope you're enjoying the beautiful countryside of Oregon. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. I noticed on your governor's map that you have Georgia as a turn to blue, and I just wondered you know we all are obviously hoping for that, but I wondered where that um, where that uh, came from like what what contributes to your math and your um, projections
4: right, so there are several races, and Georgia is one where there's a limited amount of polling. At this point in the race, and uh, just based on the one or two polls that I have in Georgia, Abrams is marginally ahead. Um, that's that's going to be a you 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 hit the the one that's going to be very intriguing, uh, Georgia, because you know be, because uh, I think that she will have a tremendous African American turnout in Georgia, and as we saw when, when you know with Obama's two runs, you know. If there's a large African American turnout in Georgia, a lot of times that can be very, very competitive, even though it's a, it's a Southern red state. I think we'll see that in Georgia as well, and you know, it, time will tell which way that that needle needle goes. That could be that could go either way.
3: Well, also, I mean, it looks like I, I'm I'm really optimistic looking at your. By the way, I, li- I like your website because it puts all the information all together there for me. Um, lots of turns. From Republican to Democrat in governors' races across the country, on um, based on your proje- projections. So, do you have any um, sort of theory about what's going on there? Like, what what is the, you know, what's the impetus yeah. for that for those well, projections? Well,
4: I think, I think in general this is a Democratic year. It's that's, you know, without denial, that's that's what it is. And and number two, there are a lot more. Republican seats that are contested or Republican chairs that are contested this year. It's 26 for Republicans and only nine Democrats are up for re-election. So so you basically have a situation where you're going to have naturally more uh, vulnerable seats on the Republican side. And in addition to that, there's also a couple of states, Kansas and Oklahoma, and perhaps Ohio, where the polling data just isn't, isn't real robust. There's only one or two polls, like I said. So so we don't really know exactly how those races are going to go yet. It'll, just, you know, as we move into September and then, of course, into October, we'll get a better feel of just how how big this wave is that, that may be on the horizon. Uh, and a lot of those states could could flip back to, you know, light light red, and and um, the Republicans may not suffer as many losses as I'm currently showing. On the other side, you know, a state like Oregon right now is red. And that's basic. That's yeah. On the basis that's of one of Yeah. So that's on, on the basis of one poll, right? So once we get more polls, you know, I I fully expect, um, honestly, unfortunately for me, I, I don't know if your audience knows, but I'm I'm a conservative. Uh, you know, I do believe that Kate Brown will probably you know pull that out. So er, this is early. So a lot of things are early. And, and about one of the things about my projections is that. Uh, I've always said this is what would happen if the election were today. It's not a real predictive right, model. It's, it's projection. So, you know, as it gets closer, yeah, to the all election. Yeah, understand that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, overall, the, the Democrats are going to enjoy a really good year. And, and in the gubernatorial, uh arena, I think, you know, there's several seats that that, that they're definitely going to pick up.
3: Well, and or I should what say is, y'all. All, all <laughs> is like what the governors what it really does is equal things out a little bit, you know so exactly it's not like yeah. we're gonna i mean if 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 the election were held today and if these projections were true, then we would just be twenty five and twenty five which is probably good for in general good for for um the governorships across the country to have a little a little more equal. I think we all kind of understand that when one party is has more control than the other. Sometimes they get a little power hungry, a little, <laughs> a little, a little full of themselves. I'm not, and I'm not saying that just about. I mean, I think it always happens. I think. Anyway, so I'm going to pass yeah. it on to Tim because I know he has other questions. But thank you very much. It's really nice.
4: You're welcome. Good evening,
2: Scott. How are you, sir?
4: I'm doing fine this Sunday afternoon. How are you guys doing?
2: Well, I'm doing great and um uh, my brother told me years ago that Oregon was a beautiful state, so I, I know you're enjoying your move up there.
4: Um, I am. I you know, I thought North Carolina was beautiful and it is, but I gotta say Oregon's uh, got it beat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Turning to turning to a governor's race here, one that that interests me because I mean, let's face it, too. To a lot of liberals, he's a boogeyman, and to a lot of conservatives, the man is a hero. Uh, There's really no in between with Governor Scott Walker, Um, and and you know he has he he's had some close races. He does have an excellent organization. Possibility that this is a wave year, though. How much trouble do you think Governor Walker might be up in Wisconsin this year?
4: Well, I think that he's definitely in some measure of trouble. There's no doubt about that. I, I, you know, he, he does have an amazing organization and, and just ability mm-hmm. to pull things out. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm concerned as a Republican that there may be some Walker fatigue that's setting in in Wisconsin and it would not surprise me for for him to lose um but you know he's he's surprised us before that's that's for sure and and so i'm not, i'm not going to count him out uh, that that's that's you know again that's one of the races to watch if you look at all the all the races on tap that's one that i would i would peg as as one to watch because you know it, it probably will give us a good indication again of, of just what the overall mood is if if he can survive and mm-hmm you You know you may be looking at at less losses than than you might expect on the Republican side if he goes down then you know it, it probably means there's going to be a lot worse day for Republicans and better day for Democrats- mm-hmm.
2: do you think that fatigue is common uh amongst um you know incumbents who have say had two terms such as he has had or or a few years ago when Governor Cuomo lost in New York? Do you think that Fatigue is common with voters They just get to the point With okay this guy's been in there A long time let's see what the other guy Can do it is it as simple As that Scott
4: Well I think it I don't think it's as simple As that I think you know there's a lot of A, a lot to be said about just the 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 performance Of of the governor and, and the way that performance Is viewed by the by the public so Some There are some you know governors who have been There for a while and, and they just They still have a good uh, rapport with the with the electorate and, and things are going well and in those cases if you know if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of idea. But I think if there's there's the least bit of, of uh, letdown let down or, you know, scandal or controversy at all, then, then the fatigue factor certainly would start to set in, especially for a third term uh governor. Yeah. Mhm.
2: Uh, okay, well then I want to turn around And go to the bottom of the country I want to back up to the U.S. Senate for a moment Emerson's latest poll has Ted Cruz up Over Beto O'Rourke down there by one point Now now Scott, you and I know it's it, it, It's been a long time since Democrats Won a statewide race in down there in Texas So I for one I'm a little bit skeptical. Am I right to be skeptical, or or do you think there really is a U.S. Senate race in
4: Texas this year? I would say absolutely. There's a race in Texas this year. Um,
0: Uh Vito
4: O'Rourke, is is a a, from from what I've seen is a very very good, very strong candidate. Um, You know, I don't know what these recent allegations of his distant past how they're going to affect the race but uh you know i know that that Ted cruz has the reputation of a firebrand and and perhaps unlike even among you know his own circle um for 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 all you know things that i see good in him i, I really feel like that this could be a very competitive race and i think the polls already show that um, so i'm I'm kind of you know biting my nails over that one because if if the red team loses texas then then more than likely they'll you know they won't they won't hold the gavel come come january
2: mhm okay I want to jump to one more place, and that's the u s house currently you have in your projections a thirty four seat gain for the democrats that's 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 a lot but it's not completely out of line with a lot of other uh, prognostications I've seen. Um, Why is this? Are are, are Democratic voters simply just more energized this year uh, and Republicans less so? Is it the typical midterm thing that happens to parties in power in the White House? Or is Donald Trump the driving force behind this? what 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 do you think the common denominator
4: is? I would probably say a little bit of all of the above um honestly mm-hmm. I think that yeah and and you know I wanted to really uh point out some things that that will probably make your audience uh very happy and and probably start saying we need to not be overconfident um, <laughs> but um you know at this point in twenty ten when uh i was I was projecting the twenty ten house raises and, and if you remember Republicans won 63 seats that year. Right. The election projection had them projected to win 64. So we were, we were just about uh-huh. right on. Um, uh-huh. in, that, in that election year, uh, we, we had on this date in 2010, we had Republicans gaining 39 seats. Today, in 2018, we have Democrats gaining 34. All right. Now, mm-hmm. that's very similar, especially when you consider that the Republicans needed more seats back then to take the majority than Democrats do now. So between the Labor Day and Election Day, my projections went from plus 39 to plus 64.
2: Uh-huh.
4: The the um, the generic congressional poll, which I used to to formulate the, the quantitative projections in the House, uh, partly, um, back then, right now, the Republicans were ahead by 5.4. Right now, in 2018, the Democrats are ahead by 8.6. Now, if you think about basically the conventional wisdom is that generic poll uh, to be even so to speak democrats need to have about a 2 point advantage because democratic districts are more tightly packed and so they they get higher percentages but, right. so if you take if you make that adjustment then it's just about the same as it was in 2010 just the flip side so there are a lot of similarities between between 2010 for the republicans and 2018 for the democrats now, I'm not saying we'll mm-hmm. see the same thing because, you know, it could tighten instead of going the opposite way. But I just want to bring up a couple of points here on the, on the House. Um, my projections, there are 20 seats that are currently rated Democrat that are within two points. And there are about the same number of seats that are currently rated Republican that are in two points. So either way, you know, we could go from, just a two-point swing in either direction. We could go from Republicans retaining the House to Democrats winning 50-plus seats. So it's very Mm -hmm. much up in the air as to, you know, what this election is going to look like.
2: Wow. Uh, By the way, I wanted to let you know, uh, I've been a devoted viewer of your site pretty much since you came online. And, that particular year when the Republicans did gain 63 seats, uh, I told some friends right before the election that I thought the Republicans were going to gain 60-plus seats. I pretty much based that on what I had read on your site, so you made me look pretty smart, fella. I want you to know that, and give credit where credit is due tonight.
0: And with that,
2: I'm I appreciate going to run that. it back. On. All right. With that, I'm going to run it back to David. David?
1: Yes. Well, Scott, we thank you for being on. Uh, wanna First, I want to hope we have you on again this election cycle, and when we do, I want to take some time and let you talk about your uh, novel, You've written since the last time you've been on Um, Pillars of Power, so people can look at that on your site. We'll let you get really in depth next time. People wanted to read your, I think everybody knows your site because we plugged it, Um, but if there's other media sources to to view your work at, let the folks know that.
4: Okay, well, you know, my site's electionprojection.com. I also have, I'm on Twitter at at blogging Caesar, and uh, I'm on Facebook uh, at Facebook slash election projection. So any of those social media outlets uh, you can follow and like, and I'd appreciate that very much. And spreading the word, you know, I got a late start this year because I'm actually contemplating not not doing election projection. So uh, I'm, I'm suffering a, a, a traffic um, uh, shortage, <laughs> so to speak. So any any uh, promotion, I would I would very much appreciate.
1: Oh yes, well you got when you finally got into the game, you came on strong. So that's the good news.
4: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it And uh, I really enjoyed talking with you all this afternoon I look forward to the next time Thank all right. you Thank, thank you, Scott.
1: you, Scott Elliot of electionprojection.com um, Good to have him on And, and one thing you can kind of look at with trends uh, You know, if we do predictions We might sometimes have a little bit of Rose-colored glasses For Democrats, maybe Scott has a Slight one for Republicans, but He does, everything makes sense in line uh, with what he has, if you will. Um, Well, let's kind of get back into some other topics. And uh, one thing that this morning I saw for the first time, Tim, I know you've seen it several times throughout the week, uh, Brian Kemp, uh, Republican nominee for governor of Georgia, uh, has his first general election ad. And other than the name Brian Kemp, and the guy wearing the plaid shirt, <laughs> everything else looks
0: different. <laughs> he
1: smiles in the ad. The music's different. The way he frames issues. Now, he still has a conservative, you know, code language and everything else. And, and he's Republican. I understand that. But um, he talks about a better Georgia. And, you know, the, I'm like, where did the pickup truck and the guns go and, and throw in, you know, Hispanic... <laughs> Uh, people's in the back of the truck go uh,
0: shooting the boyfriend?
1: Where did the scowl go? I mean, now we're smiling. Um, what changed, Brian? I- I- I'm just absolutely shocked. Catherine, have you seen this ad? I have seen it. <laughs> I think
3: so- I-, I think somebody got to him and said, you need to tone that down. Tone that down, bro. At least we still have
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah.
3: I, 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 I he's got, you know what it is? He's probably got uh Washington advisors now, whereas he
1: had, you know yeah. Bubba's
3: advising him before.
1: I, well, I mean you Definitely, think he would think of the same team. I mean you shouldn't fire the team uh, that got you the nomination. <laughs> um Well uh, it, might
3: be, it might not be that he fired the team, it might just be that you know, like the Democratic Governors Association and, or I'm sorry, the Republican Governors Association or whatever they're called, and other, you know, national money came in and said, you know, here, we need to tone this down or change your tone a little bit.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I'm actually, and maybe they don't want me to be offended for him, but I'm offended for his base, the Republican base, because of this ad. It was almost the sign I got was he looked at his Republican base voters and said they can't handle economic development and, and you know education and um, you know an optimistic you know somewhat optimistic view of Georgia. All they can handle is red meat, you know, pick up illegals and guns. And yeah, I drove a pickup truck, which we've talked about ad nauseum. That's not a campaign issue. That's not a qualification. That's nothing. That's your mode of transportation, um, but I mean, it was just—it's so disrespectful to those voters that they that he didn't feel in their primary election. Even though Casey Cagle early on, this that that ad actually looked a lot like Casey Cagle's first primary ad. Um, it did, and then he had to push away from it. He had to go into illegals and guns. Um, you know, one-two punch. Um, Tim, are, do you kind of see where I'm coming from, that it's almost – he kind of dumbed down the primary ads for the Republican base?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, of course he did. He did
2: it to get the nomination, and it worked. Um it, yeah, and, and and you know what? I got to agree with what Catherine said. I, I I believe that the Republican Governors Association came in. They brought some national people in. Um, I, I I think what shook him a little bit. He came out of the primary with a victory, and lo and behold, Stacey Abrams is running triple points ahead of him uh, in other polls, right right on top of it. Uh, oh my goodness, we've got ourselves, you know, a three a three point race or something, and so they decided it's time to pivot to general election form, and this this is what he's doing. Uh, I do not think that the early run of negative ads that they ran against Abrams. Uh, stuck i don't I don't think they mu did, did a lot of good, especially the stuff about taxes and stuff like that uh i i I think they really thought they had to try this, therefore you see the the picture of moderation in this ad with the beautiful music, the happy smiling people going happily about their work building a a great state that's already great by the way uh Did you notice that Donald Trump was not mentioned anywhere in this, for instance? Um, So, uh, yeah, I I think Catherine's exactly right what happened. Uh, The thought is, well, we got our base, but we we are going to have to do something to counteract what Stacey Abrams is doing uh, with this surge of uh, newly registered voters she's got. And with the type of campaign that she's running, which is turn them out heavily in the metro area and then swing south and get every vote, they can get down that way. Uh, I think that the Republicans think it's working and they've got to counteract it. And then you just saw the first episode of it on television this morning, David.
1: Yeah, i tell you this. I think that the polling they've done, you know, Focus groups, they've done issue polling and different things, and it does have them scared. Um, and and yeah. you, you're right. As soon as that the the Democratic Governor Association, Republican Governor Association, put out attack ads the day after um, the the two nominees were set, and that ad um, where you know they tried to tie, tie Nancy, I mean, tied Stacey Abrams to Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. That is the most uh, weak stuff I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, that. Uh, they, I don't know. Nancy all Pelosi worked right for them in 2000. Wasn't it, was it 2010 or 2014 that that kind of hit its zenith and it worked? And they've just run it into the ground and people are immune to it. And Hillary Clinton, they need to figure out that she is not in public office. She is a sprawl <laughs> intensive person, a retired grandmother
0: of. So she's just <laughs>
1: not someone that they need to – I mean they just – they they lost their chance. If she had won the election like she had got the most popular votes and none of the Russian hacking and everything else, and she was in office, they might could have rightfully used her. Um, but they lost their chance, just like Fox News – I think I told you all Tuesday I was someplace – and that was what Fox News was busy on, was something about Hillary Clinton. I'm like, y'all people need to give. Um, you, you had your chance, but she's not president, so you know you you, you lost a credible um, topic of conversation there. But but I do think that the polling has somehow shown um, that Brian Kemp's going to do have to do something else. I just didn't know he had a smile in him. Did y'all? <laughs>
2: you know what david the scowl the scowl was of course to remind the base that president trump is on his side that that's all the scowl was that was donald trump's scowl now we're giving our general election smile that that the republican governors association and the other national people have told us we need to give at some point in every campaign, I believe, for governor, you have to tell people why they should elect you. Well, he started doing that this morning, a little late, but but uh, some, something that shook them up. And I think it's a combination of things, and I still think Catherine was very right about why it wheeled like it did. And it looked like a different person out there. It's because different handlers are getting to him.
1: Well, yeah, and, and also, we'll see that on the disclosure if he has new uh, a new media group, Catherine.
3: It's very believable, either. I mean, he didn't look very comfortable. Um, I don't think. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to really notice, but but anyone who's paying attention has been paying attention is going
0: to
3: will likely have the same reaction we are, like well, who's this guy? This isn't the guy I voted for. This isn't the guy I voted against. This is some new iteration of Brian Kemp that has been sanitized and cleaned up.
2: Do you think that ad would have worked better, do you think that ad would have worked better, Catherine, if they had given out the same information, showed the same smiling, happy people, but have a voiceover, man. Are uh, an announcer talking in the background and never show Brian Kemp. Do you think it would have worked better huh, that way? Uh,
3: I think that would have been uh, more believable, but mm-hmm. but I also think that it's really hard to do. A, a, I think we are um, we are conditioned to expect to see. The candidate. I saw a, a new Stacey Abrams cam, uh, commercial this morning that had a guy um, introducing her, like talking about her, and I was like, "Wait, what is this? Is this an anti-Stacey Abrams or is it?" And then they showed Stacey and and, and her, you know, talking to people, and I was like, "Oh, oh I get it. He's mm-hmm. you know, speaking for her." So I think we expect to see the candidate in the ads. Well, uh,
0: yeah, and I
1: think that actually I'll say this: I don't think it was a bad ad. I think it was just so incongruent with what we saw throughout the primary. Actually, I thought it was a good ad compared to those ads. Um, you, you know, it actually, you know, had a little bit of aspiration as so much as a Brian Kemp ever could. And I'll tell you where I think that ad was targeted at, even if it was just percent of the electorate or 10 percent of the Republican base that didn't vote for him, that was super turned off by him, that knows that their party – cannot be the party of let's round up every person of color and, and, you know, throw them in the back of the truck. We've got to have, you know, some broader tent than that. And I'm just not going to vote for Brian Kemp. If they could somehow soften him where those folks that might have said that back in July see this ad and go, well, maybe he's not as bad as I thought, and I've always voted Republican. And you can bring most of those voters back into the fold That's what that ad to me was designed to do, and at this stage of the campaign, that's probably a smart strategy is to just get back your base Republican vote that might have been turned off. Because, I mean, there is a percentage of Republicans that don't want to be the party of racism and exclusion. I mean, they know that that's a losing strategy and and, and morally losing because, I mean, there are plenty of Republicans that are like Jack Kemp that actually you know, want to diversify their party.
2: (laughs) So, so that ad is targeted, say, at Alpharetta, a, a, as opposed yeah. to being targeted to this corner of the state.
1: Probably so. Right. And there are yeah, voters think- in this corner of the state that are Republicans that don't, um, you know, are, are not Snuffy Smith. I mean, there's there's voters in every county of Georgia that are Republican but not Snuffy Smith. If if that that there's a, a contingent of those folks too. But that's not who that ad was for, um, in my opinion. Now, of course, I'm not in mm-hmm. the ad room. I, I don't know all the strategy behind it, but that's just my feeling. Um, well, guys, it's, it's getting close to the end of the show. Um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Starbucks coming to Atlanta and what that may portend and how that affects the governor's race. But the Arizona primary, we didn't get to. But uh, we always got next week, and we went ahead and, ex- and set up our guests for next week, this week. Um, the author of How Democracies Die, Stephen Levitsky, is going to come on the show and talk about his book and all of those concepts. Really excited about that show. Till next week. Okay. Good night. Good night, guys. y'all. Good night, everybody.
0: plus.